Hello and welcome to episode 229 of Retro Encounter, RPG fans' weekly podcast of many topics, although I did miss a week last month and the previous month, so I'm just a uh, podcaster full of lies in 2020. But uh, what isn't a lie is that this is episode 229, all about Tokyo Mirage Sessions, the Wii U RPG that recently got a Switch port, uh, which I'm experiencing for the first time. But uh, joining me on uh, this episode is someone who is not experiencing the game for the first time, Nathan Lee. Hello, everyone. Now, uh, Nathan, we've had the uh, idea of a Tokyo Mirage Sessions podcast in our big uh, Google Doc in the sky for a little while, and um, you are one of the uh, one of the big proponents of this game on RPG Fan. This is a uh, you're a big fan of TMS, Effie. Is, is oh. that, am I right in saying that? Oh yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I already knew the answer to that one, but I had to ask anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, this is a 2015 Wii U game that re- was released worldwide in 2016, and uh, it, it, ha- it has what, it's one of the stranger origin stories of a of an RPG that I've seen in the past decade. Um, so I'm going to go a, a little bit into the background of this game, Nathan, and please chime in or, or correct me if I uh, if I miss any important detail. Um, sure. They uh, Nintendo got the idea of having a Fire Emblem crossover uh, RPG crossover a while ago, maybe ten years ago, early 2010s, and they eventually landed on the idea of maybe crossing over Fire Emblem with uh, with one of Atlas's games, either Shin Megami Tensei or Persona, and they pitched it to Atlas, and Atlas agreed after thinking about it for several months or maybe or maybe even a year. And uh, so with a general pitch idea of Shin Megami Tensei cross Fire Emblem, they uh, teased that in a single image in January 2013 in a Nintendo Direct. And um, this got the Twitterverse really abuzz, or or I should say the the, um, communities for both Fire Emblem and SMT really, really intrigued. Because these are two fandoms with some really, really dedicated, passionate fans. And this was... um, in the wake of Fire Emblem Awakening coming out, which was uh, an extremely popular Fire Emblem game that maybe reignited the fan base a little bit. And uh, I think this was also pretty close to the release date of Shin Megami Tensei 4. So there was uh, a lot of Nintendo buzz around both of those series at the time of this Nintendo Direct in 2013. Um, and then there's radio silence for over two years, or maybe a little less than two years. It was over two years. It was over two years. Yeah, because okay, I, I it got I know it got revealed in, uh, in a, a I think another Nintendo Direct in either late in uh, in I guess it was 2015, and then yeah. was eventually released in uh, in late 2015 in Japan, like in the, at the very end of the year with a worldwide release about six months later. So, yeah. um, now Nathan, you probably finished off all this a little bit more closely than I did because I uh, I. I I remember some of the fan reaction, but I'm but I'm not that deep into the. I, I don't have my finger on the pulse of what Fire Emblem fans think, and you are uh, are also a, a huge Fire Emblem fan. So, what do you think was the fan expectation of this game, say before the big reveal in 2015, and what was the reaction after? Because that's one fascinating thing about this game that I, I wouldn't mind exploring. So, when it comes to Fire Emblem, because I can't really speak too much for SMT. So for Fire Emblem, we were kind of expecting like a lot more of like a general crossover the series, like involving a lot more characters. And I'm trying to think of other games that might come out on time, maybe something like Project Cross Zone, where it's like that kind of like grid-based strategy with like teams of Fire Emblem characters teaming up with SMT characters, perhaps. Yeah, the um, Cross Zone is one of the uh, one of the Capcom slash Namco crossovers. They they've done a couple of those. Yeah, so I think that that's what the general expectation was, or like. Like people just wanted to see like how the universe can come together with like involving these different characters all together. So I think when the, the game was revealed, I don't think it, like it was immediately went against what people have thought it was going to be. Right, and um, the SMT fandom, which I guess I, I follow a little bit more closely than that of Fire Emblem, was really confused because 
this game is developed by Atlas. It is a, uh, um, which, you know, are developers of Shin Megami Tensei and Persona and a lot of other games. But sort of the, the fandom there is not divided, but it, it, it's factioned a little bit. Um, some of the more hardcore fans long for the days of, uh, you know, um, high difficulty punishing demon summoning uh Shin Megami Tensei main series games, and some fans have moved, have not not moved on, but um, some fans gravitate more closely to the sort of the stylish, um, angsty, less hardcore Persona games. And then to say that Persona games aren't hardcore is a misnomer. But uh, there are SMT fans that disdain Persona, and Persona fans that disdain SMT. And for a game to be called SMT Crossfire Emblem, and to be <laughs> eventually revealed as a candy colored Japanese pop idol themed uh, 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 turn-based RPG with some Fire Emblem iconography and imagery, but mostly playing like a Persona game, um, some of the fans got upset. I remember on the RPG fan forums, uh, there was a bit of an outcry from the more, from people hoping this was going to be an SM, like an SMT game where you, but you recruit Fire Emblem heroes instead of monsters. But what ended up being something much different. And it's, um, I don't. I, I want to avoid talking about Persona too much on this podcast, but uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions really is about eighty percent of the way to being a Persona game, and that's not. I, I don't think that's direction. That's the direction that every SMT fan or every Fire Emblem fan wanted. But what we ended up with was something that, even though it's again similar to Persona, a game that's ex- quite unique in its. Um, in its style and it, well, okay, it, it 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 has style and tonal similarities to Persona and other Atlas games, but the total package is pretty unique and interesting, yeah. and 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 is why it became a bit of a cult hit in 2015 on the Wii U. Yeah, the Wii U was not a very popular Nintendo system. It sold about uh, 15 or 16 million copies, which is around the same amount as the PlayStation Vita sold. But I, I sort of view that as the Wii U died so the Switch could live. Um, the Wii U had a you know some uh, some structural difficulties and some and some you know not very well communicated uh, marketing stuff that made it sell not as strongly as the Wii. But the Wii U technology that made it to the Switch helped the Switch become the super platform it is right now. But as such, the uh, uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions sort of being stuck on an unpopular console uh, didn't maybe didn't get the full audience it could have gotten. And I think now it has a second life on the Switch and might be able to reach a larger audience. I never owned a Wii U, but I'm playing it on the Switch right now, and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, now, have you, have you played the Wii U and Switch versions? Because I know you reviewed the Switch version for the site. Yeah, I, so I played the original Wii U version. I played it my played it by myself a couple times, and then I also streamed it for our Twitch channel. Oh, okay. So I played the original Wii U game three times, and then this is my fourth time playing on Switch. Oh, all right. So so uh, you, you've definitely put your paces here. Now, do you think yeah. that... Um, the Switch version is superior or basically the same, or uh, would you urge people to still play it on Wii U? The Switch version is definitely better. There's The loading screens is a lot faster. Like, I remember battles used to take like at least five seconds to load. Like Sometimes areas would take like, good, like, like seven to eight seconds. Loading screens are a lot faster on Switch version. Like, battle starts pretty much instantaneously, which is... Which actually kind of threw me off because the music used to line up when you start attacking, like it would go into like the. Uh, I'm, I don't know quite. Not, I'm not a musical person, so I can't really describe it. But basically, the would the music would lead right into when you usually would get the first attack off. So, like just getting used to it on Switch kind of threw me off. Um, so like so, the so like the battle intro would be playing when you got your first attack in instead of like instead of sort of the main melody of the battle. Yeah. Okay, and uh, do you have you noticed any uh, d- any differences between playing in handheld mode versus uh, d- uh, docked mode? No, no, it runs pretty much the same. Okay, yeah, I, I play Switch probably ninety percent of the time in handheld mode, same. Uh, but I but I haven't um, I haven't run into any major technical issues. Uh, I, I don't think I've run into any crashes even, which is impressive because um, Switch uh, Switch ports are a mixed bag with um, how they handle load times and crashes. But this seems to be one of the good ones. Um, <laughs> But let's actually talk about the content of the game a little bit. Uh, now, this I mentioned that this is a game centered around the Japanese pop idol industry, or at least the Japanese entertainment industry in general. And it's that's really what it is. It's a celebration of, um, of Japanese entertainment. You even are basically uh, running an agency, 
which has uh, only a few um, a few talents, uh, like maybe six or seven people total, but they also seem to be about. 80% of the talent that's advertised in the game. So it seems like you you have all of the popular uh, idols and, and actors on your side. Yeah. Um, which is, again, it just makes the world feel a little smaller than uh, than they intended to, which is not a major weakness. But um, it's you're basically a, a, an agency with several Im, inspi- uh, aspiring talents. And the, in, in Japanese entertainment industry, they use the word talent to refer to basically any performer. It could be a model... An actor, a singer, a uh, even even a, a a voice a voiceover artist, uh, sort of they put all of those people into a single box called talent, and and talent agencies are very powerful in Japan, and it's it's even it's even like it's major news within that sphere if uh, if uh, if a, a talent changes agencies, um, and and so you're you're a you're a teenager who sort of stumbles into working for a talent agency because uh, you you run into a a monster that is uh, that that sort of attacks a signing an uh, an idol performer signing event, and uh, you and your uh, you Itsuki and your friend Subasa sort of accidentally join this talent agency when you uh, when you're trying when Itsuki's trying to save Subasa from monsters and Itsuki's friend Toma who works at that agency sort of runs into them it's, it's a very very suddenly formed party <laughs> uh but it, but in this uh in this monster dimension you stumble into which is again a lot like the dark hour in persona or even a lot like uh you know the uh, the the other worlds in uh in rpgs like tokyo mirage sessions i'm mean, sorry or like the other world in other games like tokyo xanadu a different tokyo rpg where you tr- like travel to another world yeah, yeah. um there's monsters in this other world that are draining people of their soul, but the soul, but it's called performa and performa is sort of like the part of you that, uh, that inspires your creativity and your creative energy and your desire to perform. So like, uh, a singer drained of their performa can't even muster up the energy to sing anymore. And so these monsters, which are called mirages, Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So monsters called mirages are trying to drain um, uh, creative humans of their performa, and uh, this talent agency, Fortuna, uh, uses humans wielding mirage powers to prevent that from happening. And uh, your friend Toma, who is uh, who's working as an extra for a Tokusatsu TV show, which makes this game already uh, dis- dis- aimed directly at me, and um, <laughs> and and, uh, and a popular idol singer named Kiria. Are uh, are basically warriors that are using uh, mirages to uh, to solve this problem, and Itsuki and Subasa uh, very quickly gain their own mirage powers and join Kiria and Toma. So that's your those are your first four characters. Itsuki is the main character, Subasa, Toma, and Kiria, trying to save the world from being drained of uh, of musical and creative energy. And I, I just oversimplified this a lot because I haven't mentioned Fire Emblem once since the first few, since the first five minutes of us talking. Um, all of the mirages, or, or at least the huge majority of them, use Fire Emblem, uh, Fire Emblem style I- I- imagery, whatever word you want to use. Uh, the the uh, the mirages wielded by the main characters are famous Fire Emblem uh, heroes. I think I think four of them come from Fire Emblem 1 and three of them come from Fire Emblem Awakening, which makes sense based on the timing of this game. Awakening was huge uh, just before this game started development. And uh, you use Fire Emblem skills against enemies that include uh, traditional Fire Emblem units like, uh, you know, like archers and axe fighters and, uh, and myrmidons. And things and things like that. So, your main characters wield Fire Emblem heroes, kind of like personas in a Persona game, and they battle Fire Emblem enemies, and use some Fire Emblem ideas like like uh, like traditional weapon and spell weaknesses. So, Nathan, um, do you think this game has enough Fire Emblem or not enough Fire Emblem? Because again. I think if you just change the names around a little bit, this doesn't this doesn't need to be a Fire Emblem game. This could have been a Persona game about the Japanese entertainment industry. Do you think there's enough Fire Emblem? Um, we'll get to this actually the next episode. You'll see yourself once you get to it. 
Okay. Uh, there, there is more Fire Emblem later on, but uh, but for the most part of this game, I like to call this game like 85% SMT Persona, then maybe 15% Fire Emblem. There really isn't a lot, and that was part of the complaint from the Fire Emblem fandom when this came out. Right. Was that this really doesn't feel like Fire Emblem, and the, the references they make, again, it's only to Shadow Dragon and Awakening, which is mm-hmm. a lot of people wanted more variety. Yeah, I get that. And uh, I mean, uh, my take was that the Fire Emblem fans wanted more Fire Emblem and the SMT fans wanted more SMT. And the Persona fans are like, great, uh, maybe I should get a Wii U. And and, and, and the community that that, uh, sprouted out of uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, I think, does like the game. This, This game has a dedicated fan base. But it, does, it yeah. but it didn't. Um, it's it, it's not an enormous fan base. But it's uh, like like the people that have played this game really really like it. And uh, go, going back to the, the, sort of what the game's about, it, again, it feels about eighty percent of the way to a Persona game. The way that you go to each dungeon, and uh, the way that parties are set up and combat is set up, even with the we- a weakness table that looks just like a Persona weakness table, except there's fire emblem symbols up there instead of SMT symbols. It, it it feels a lot like a Persona game. Um, you, a lot of the basics of combat are, are determining enemy weaknesses, and then hammering those and keeping a diverse skill set on your on your uh, characters so you can attack a variety of weaknesses. Um, but then you have uh, things called sessions, aka the third world, the third word in the title of this game, where basically if you have characters that um, have certain combo skills, you can chain. Uh, the biggest chain I've gotten in the game, I think, is 16 hits. But you can chain a bunch of hits in a row if you have enough characters covering the enemy weakness to perform that chain. And it's really satisfying. But also, you're balancing your, your character's main moves, which are like six or seven slots, and then session moves, which allow them to chain things together, and then radiant skills, which are their own special uh, like, like passive skills. There is so much tinkering in this game. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm in, I'm early in chapter five, and this game has six or six and a half chapters. You uh, you told me off air before we recorded, and I am like almost after every fight, I have some skill learning or skill tinkering to do. And it's uh, the, the I think part of the appeal of this game is even though it's not all the way Fire Emblem or all the way SMT, the RPG we have here is a very tightly designed one that has just a lot going on both in character customization and in battle. Um, what do you think is one of, the, one of your favorite things about how this game handles RPG mechanics? Because I'm, I'm finding it really, really satisfying and getting, and getting more complex with sort of every new area I visit. Yeah, so one of the main things for me was, I mentioned this in my review, is the way everything seems to constantly evolve. So like, as you go through the game, you'll eventually you know, you learn new skills and you'll be able to progress. Like, some skills will get more powerful. Like you'll get even more powerful session attacks later on. And then it's just that nice buildup of each mechanic too. Like every, almost every chapter has a new mechanic that they add in to help you in combat. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it, yeah. It's just it, the way it keeps going every single time. You guys get something new, and it just never makes the battle system like ever feel boring. Yeah, you um you start out with uh with two with two characters, just pretty much Itsuki, Itsuki, uh, Itsuki then Tsubasa, then Toma joining near the end of the prologue, and then basically every chapter a new character joins. And I'm I, again. I'm early in chapter five, and I think I have the final character now, or at least the character sheet is, is uh, appears full. So every chapter, you'll have probably a new character, probably some new skill wrinkle, uh, and then and then almost every major character side quest unlocks new skills and new abilities. Like now, you have uh, um, there's something called ad lib skills, which are basically super attacks that replace a normal attack under with a low chance. Then you have. Uh, uh, I, I think duo perform um, duo arts. Yeah, yeah, duo arts, which are sometimes during sessions when you're building up a combo, uh, two two characters can do a special attack together. But and, and those you also have to unlock those by doing side quests. And then there's also special performances, which are basically super attacks that unlock uh, sometimes in ga- sometimes just during the game, sometimes uh, by completing side quests that uh, that use a separate. Um, uh, a separate stat from your from the traditional uh, um, SP that you use to cast most of your spells and skills. It's th- there are so many weird layers that uh, that keep building and building that make me like tinker into a menu at every other battle practically. And sometimes I can win a fight on the first try by hitting an enemy with this weakness. Then I get eight hits because uh, because uh, my team is has a pretty diverse skill set and then i unlock i activate a duo art and then there's another eight hits and then the battle's over and it was a a, a circus of 
rainbow chaos that's very, very satisfying to pull off. And, uh, and, and you feel mostly in control of it. Uh, this, basically, I'm rambling a lot, but saying that the combat here <laughs> gets really elaborate, but is really satisfying. Yeah. And, uh, and, and like you said, you basically unlock new wrinkles and new aspects to combat and customization with every new chapter and new area you visit. Yeah, that, that's what, for me, that's the most satisfying thing. It's like, I always like love it when games will consistently expand on their combat and make it so that regular encounters are just always enjoyable. Uh, do you have a favorite, um, a favorite either duo art or uh, or or um, special performance or ad lib, like a, like a favorite special move? Just because I, I want to, if in case the audience hasn't played this or isn't far enough along, just to, we can, so we can describe to someone what this what this game's like a little bit. Okay, so I guess one of my favorite duo arts is uh, when it's Give Me, which is the what you unlock after doing Curious Third side quest. So Give Me is a duo art where. Uh, the, the, there's a song in the game called Give Me and then Kyria and Subasa will perform it together and then that's also a skill in the game that mm. will, it's a AoE wind attack and also uh, heals your entire party to full health which is always useful because, you know, that's, that's just a great skill to have and it's for free um, as for special skills my favorites are always Mamori just because she has some of the best SP skills in the game she she gets full heals and then she can also move again, which basically means you get a full heal for basically free, except for an S one S one or two SP bars depending on the um, the heal she does. Yeah, and, I think one of them heals and then puts you into a guard state and lets you move again, and the other one is less of a heal and doesn't have the guard state, but is is one SP instead of two. Yeah, it's so for her, for her. She's like almost an essential part of my party later on because what, when enemies get tougher, then she can just use. SP skill for full heal and then be able to do whatever she wants after it too. And she also learns skills that, uh, um, a, a couple skills that SMT or Persona fans might recognize, Tetrakarn and Makarakarn, that, uh, mm-hmm. that completely block one physical or one magic attack by the enemy, which is, you know, a really good uh, get-out-of-jail-free card if you're struggling a little bit. Well, let's yeah. talk about the character specifically a little bit. Um, we have Itsuki, who can never leave your party, and uh, his mirage is Krom, the lord from Fire Emblem Awakening, the main character. And, and Itsuki's a little boring, but still pretty powerful. Uh, he uses swords and, and learns lightning skills. And, uh, he's attack- a typical Fire Emblem lord. Yeah, he is a typical Fire Emblem lord. <laughs> but, but at least he's pretty strong and pretty survivable. He has a couple of really good SP skills. He can give everyone a free turn. Um, or or yeah, the, the, the next time they get a turn, they get, they get two instead of one, which is really yeah, powerful. But uh, I, I sort of wish he could use more than just swords because it's, it, you know, I don't always want a sword guy on the team. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bunch of Lance users. You're like, well, I guess ET gets hit. I guess I get sessioned for, you know, two-thirds of his health. Yeah, exactly. He can get... uh, uh, And similar to a lot of uh, SMT games, enemies can use some of the same session skills you can. So if they hit one of your characters for their weakness, then the other enemies might be able to pile on just like you can with the session. So... uh, I have had characters wipe out for that exact reason. It's like, uh oh, there's a bunch of axe users. They attack my uh, one of my lance users, and they just got three hits in a row. And now Subasa's dead. Yeah. And speaking of Subasa, um, she's a Pegasus knight. Um, she has a lot of uh, some lance skills, some wind skills, some healing skills, uh, and she's pretty good early on, especially when healing is you don't have a lot of healing items. But yeah. uh, now she's probably my, like a permanent bench unit for me just because I can heal with items and she does not bring nearly as much offense to the table as the rest of the team. That's fair. For, for me, like, Subasa is always just a permanent fixture just because she has the constant healing and I always use her... I always use her, have a special um, loop with my characters. So I have Itsuki to do like, like evade up or mm-hmm. accuracy and evade up but then have Subasa with offense up but then have memory with defense up. So I can just get the nice buff uh, range right away. Well, um, that brings us to our third character, uh, the third character that joins, um, Toma. He is a cavalier or a, a social knight um, from Fire Emblem. His uh, his his mirage is uh, is Kane, the the red knight from Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon. Oh, Sibasa's is uh, Sheeta, also from Fire Emblem One, the uh, the uh, the uh, Pegasus princess in that game. But uh, Toma has one of his like the very first special skill he learns is. Or no, no, I'm sorry. The second one he learns is attack up to your whole team and hit evade up to your whole team, and his next hit is a critical hit. 
<laughs> so I, I use that at the beginning of every boss fight. It's my uh, it's it's one of my favorite skills in the whole game. Uh, Toma has really high defense and attack and critical hit rate, but just terrible res. So he takes enormous magic damage, and that's his big weakness. Yeah. But uh, he, he's um, him and Mamari are probably my two favorite characters to use. Uh, uh, I, I I try to use every character semi equally. Um, for yeah. reasons we'll get into soon, but I, I really like Toma. And also, again, we, we mentioned that uh, this game's about the Japanese entertainment industry, and you're sort of following tal- uh, talents in your talent agency uh, <laughs> through their careers. Um, Subasa is an aspiring singer, and she's a bit of a fan- fangirl. She's sort of a-, a clumsy, cute stereotype, but she is a talented singer. And uh, Toma uh, loves Japanese hero shows. And uh, uh, there's a specific kind of Japanese hero show called Tokusatsu, which I've mentioned on this podcast before, which is sort of live-action special effects shows like Power Rangers or Kamen Rider. And uh, there's a parody – there's a show in this game called Masquerader, which is clearly a a pastiche of Kamen Rider. And um, Toma's dream is to become the next Masquerader, and his side quests are about – inspiring a kid with with uh with the these hero shows and trying to and trying to uh, attend auditions to be the next masquerader so of course he's my favorite character of course he is yeah as soon as, soon as i saw like you started playing the game i knew toma was gonna be your favorite yeah you are absolutely right and and i uh i i like and toma is he's a little bit like ryuji from persona 5 or yosuke from persona 4 or jinpei from persona 3 he's the he, he he's the bro yeah he, he's yeah. the male the male best friend character but he's a very very good one of those and of, of course i'm rooting for the common writer uh hero wannabe of course i am and uh, if if i have a a single predilection in fire emblem games it's to use too much cavalry i use pegasus knights dragon knights and uh and paladins all the time in those games um because i really value uh, a high movement speed i'm sorry a high, a high uh, movement number in fire emblem I, I i hate being dragged down by infantry yeah so uh i was i was overjoyed to love the cavalier in this game and somewhat less overjoyed to not love the pegasus knight in this game because I, I just don't think i don't think Subasa is as useful as the rest of the team in the second half of the game but uh let's talk about uh kiria the, the third character that we, that we mentioned um she she does she's not with you for the first chapter but she joins in between chapter one and two i if memory serves and yes. she's your she's your mage she uses uh tharia from fire emblem awakening who is a very very unusual personality <laughs> magic user in that game uh tharia's uh she's she's very sexy so there's a lot of uh saucy tharia statuettes out there but she also has like a weird obsession with krom the the main character in awakening and and as such tharia has a weird obsession with uh kyria her 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 human partner in this game and it's a uh, it's a little disturbing and very amusing how tharia there's fun it. interactions because unlike Krom, <laughs> like the uh, Curious kind of a little bit like she doesn't really take the her crap or the, the, I guess I was I would say Tharja, but because the Japanese pronunciation is Tharja. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I truly I was not sure how to pronounce it when I played Fire Emblem Awakening, but uh, this game only has a Japanese uh, voice track, and they're saying Tharja all the time. So I'm like, all right, decision made. Tharja it is. Yeah. So it's funny just the way those two interact. It's great. Yeah, um, I think Krom, Sheeta, and Kane have maybe slightly more boring personalities. If anything, uh, uh, Kane is sort of a little bit more responsible than Toma is, and trying to t- and teaching him to tone it down. Uh, but Tharia is just a, a complete maniac, and uh, and and, Th- and Kyria, who's sort of a sort of a uh, she's sort of a cool girl persona, like a little bit aloof. And um, her side quest is her trying to embrace her cute side a little bit. Like, like she reveals secretly she loves mascots and pl- and plushes and stuff, but tries to tone that personality that part of her personality down because she's supposed to be the cool girl when she sings. But then you know she allows that side of her to come out more, and and it culminates with this uh, with a with this um this give me song that she sings with Tsubasa after her third side quest, and and we should mention this. Um, there are a lot of anime music videos and a lot of pop idol songs in this game. And a lot of the time, completing a side quest or even completing a story mission results in, in unlocking a new music video. Yeah. And um, recently, uh, not really for the podcast, but uh, uh, for myself and then later we podcasted about it, I played uh, AI The Somnium Files. And there's a pop song in that game. And they play it, I don't know, a dozen times. And it's not even the best Japanese pop song. I got sick of it by the end. Uh, 
that's not the case here. Uh, in Tokyo Mirage Sessions has a lot of pop music, but a lot of it's well produced. You can tell that you can tell that they put their effort into making the music at least pretty good in this game. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess one thing I should mention is that uh, since they tagged, uh, well, Apex Group produced it, which is like a really big music label in Japan. And then they brought on um, the composer for Love Live, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, music anime series in Japan. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of Love Live in this game. I'm not I'm not shocked by that. Yeah, so his influence is like pretty clear in this game. Like he has like a so much experience working with with idol music, so it's clear, pretty clear that um, Nintendo picked the right person or Apex, I guess, picked the right person. It certainly fits their vision. Uh, um, I don't know a lot about Love Live. I don't. I don't really even know much of the difference between Love Live and. Uh, Oh, what are some of these other shows? Uh, Idolmaster. Idol Master, yeah, Idolmaster or or uh, uh, did Morning Musume have their own anime? I thought they did. Morning Musume. Uh, um, I think I think it's an idol group that had a, a short anime or something. But it's it's a whole subgenre in Japan, and it um, it it's basically uh, to, not to sound too cynical, but uh, sort of uh, music idol TV shows are very popular. Love Live probably is the most popular one. And they're really about, uh, you know, teenage girls who want to be who want to be singers, and uh, they they all have specific personalities, and they're all working as hard as they can. They they really value um, work, uh, effort in when they communicate in these shows. It's the kind of show I don't love. I, I've been made to watch episodes of Love Live um, from my friends in the old anime club in, uh, from college, but it's not a genre I really enjoy. And uh, to be honest, when when I completed the side quest in Tokyo Mirage Sessions, I was much much more excited to learn a new duo art or new special performance, uh, or especially get a master seal, <laughs> and, and and much less excited by having a new music video because it's I mean Japanese pop isn't something I'm crazy about, and this game really celebrates that uh, that side of the culture, um, especially I think I, I think there is a crossover between fans that love anime and fans that love these kind of RPGs and fans of Japanese pop idols. And they're really aiming for that center of that di- Venn diagram. And I'm not, I'm in part of that vi- Venn diagram, but I'm not right in the center. So I, I, I sometimes rolled my eyes a little bit about the, um, about the, uh, I'm working so hard to achieve my dream of being a, of being a musician side of this game. Cause that's, that's a lot of the personal journey in this game is people trying to fulfill their dreams and their dream being a specific thing in the Japanese entertainment industry. But again, this is I'm someone who loves Atlas RPGs and likes a lot of Fire Emblem games and uh and thinks this is a really well designed like the RPG parts of this game are really satisfying and that's what I'm getting the most fun out of. Fair enough. Because for me, like I'm not like super into like idol music myself, but I always enjoyed like J pop and uh just getting to know like a lot of the the talent behind like Japanese stuff in general. So that that's where this game gets me as well. And again, this isn't. This is about the Japanese entertainment industry, not only J-pop. Um, the next character that joins after Kiria is Eleonora, who uh, does some singing, but she she tip- she primarily views herself as an actress, and she's uh, really eager to grow as an actress. She t- she gives acting lessons to Sabasa and uh, and Mamari to a degree, but uh, that that's sort of part of a, a weird thing in the uh, Japanese talent industry. They really want their talents to be triple threats, like to be singers, dancers, and actors. Yeah. And uh, and that's you know of course some uh, some talents are much better at one of those things than the other, uh, and, and not everyone can be a perfect triple threat. But like this game sort of communicates everyone is trying to be a singer, dancer, and actor. And Eleonora's story is her um, determined to to make it to Hollywood, uh, and she's she's also half uh, half Swedish, I think. So she's uh, so she's blonde and has uh, and has light colored eyes, which makes her feel exo- uh, seem exotic to the uh, to the Japanese public within Tokyo Mirage Sessions. And, and she sort of doesn't want to be typecast that way. So that's a uh, that that's part of what her journey is. A, l- a little bit like Lisa Silverman in Persona Two. Oh, damn it, I promised I wouldn't talk about Persona as much in this episode. I'm, I'm, compl- <laughs> I'm, I'm completely failing at that. Maybe, maybe I should embrace it instead of give up on it. But uh, Eleonora is a, a bow user. She's a typical Fire Emblem archer. Her uh, mirage is Virian, the, uh, the dandy archer from Fire Emblem Awakening. 
and her relationship with Virian is kind of hilarious because uh, Virian is an exaggerated dandy character who is sort of uh, uh, exaggerated nobility. And he views his role as teaching Eleonora how to be a lady, which Eleonora mostly rejects. <laughs> but it's, yeah. they, they have a very fun vibe. It's a, it's a lot less serious and, and less boring than, than Krom or, or Sheeta. Yeah. But I, I also I, I don't use Eleonora a lot. She has really high speed, and she can do a lot of good uh, um, status effect attacks. But I, I want Kyria's magic power or Toma's physical power ahead of, you know, poisoning yeah. a lot with Eleonora or something. Although, but she's not bad. She's she's perfectly capable in battle. Eleonora is like a pro, almost. She's pretty much a support character, and uh, that's the one of the issues I have is because you only have three slots for characters, you kind of have to pick your your best all the time. So. So it's kind of unfortunate that I, I relegate Eleanor to the bench for after the chapter she's introduced in because she's actually really useful for that chapter. Yeah, no, no, that, like, I don't bother. That's definitely a trend in this game. Like once a character joins, a lot of monsters in the next dungeon will be uh, will be vulnerable to what that character brings. So there's a lot of enemies weak against bow attacks uh, in the dungeon right before right after Eleanor joins. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate because Toma actually doesn't get that. Yeah, Toma doesn't get that a little bit, but Toma can use spear attacks. And I think he also has fire and wind, which are present at least the whole game. And he just deals a lot of damage. And getting getting big damage and big critical hits are always at least pretty good in the in this game. Yeah, like a lot of, that's what's valuable. Thomas is the ability to get crits because he has such high skill. He's probably the highest skill unit in the game besides Eleonora. So yeah, mm-hmm. the ability to get crits is like really really high. And uh, speaking of him having the highest in something, Toma is one of two really high defense units in this game. The other one is Mamari, who we've mentioned a couple times. Uh, Mamari is a uh, girl who's, I think, only 12 or 13 years old. Um, she's 11, actually. Oh, 11? Oh, she's even younger than I thought. But she's, yeah. uh, but she's a sort of a preteen idol that hosts a kid's television show, which is, you know, something that happens in the Japanese TV industry. And her... Uh, her show is called Microwaving with Mamarin, which is basically <laughs> teaching kids how to use a microwave, which is, you know, uh, honestly, not the most insane idea for a television show I've ever heard. <laughs> that, that That's sort of, that's the kind of thing that might appear on Japanese television. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I can see it happening. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's not crazy, but it, it's sort of a, a nice... Uh, uh, in, in a nice bit of a, uh, a, a, a like a, a clash dichotomy, um, Mamori is your huge armored defensive unit. Um, her mirage is Draugr, who was a big knight, uh, armor knight or general character in uh, in Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon. So she's again an eleven year old girl who wields an axe bigger than she is and is your highest defense, most st- uh, highest HP unit. It also serves as your team's tank because so one yeah. of her passive skills is to take attacks for her teammates. Yeah, yeah, she, she can she can cover attacks for teammates. She can attract more enemy attacks to her. She can use spell uh, um, skills that block the next enemy attack. She's super defensive, but she's also your only source of axe attacks, and it's just pretty solid in general offensively. Yeah, actually, one of the, one of the cool little bit of trivia. So her name Mamori is like the Japanese like verb Mamoru is to protect. So I like hmm. how that kind of works out. Oh, that is cute. But uh, yeah, she's sort of a, a very cute character. She, um, I think she she sings Enka songs, and wears and wears kimonos. So that that's again that's another uh, kind of another phase of the Japanese entertainment industry that uh, uh, that would makes le- makes less sense if they tried to import if they tried to make this game. Oh no, this game's totally set in Los Angeles. It's 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 L.A. Mirage Sessions. Like no, it's not. This is this is a Japanese ass RPG. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so she sings Enka songs, she wears kimonos, she hosts a children's cooking show, and she uh, summons a giant armored knight into battle. And is, uh, uh, I think that um, she's probably my, fav- my favorite character to keep around other than Toma, because like, like Toma is big, heavy armored offense, and Mamori is he- big, heavy armored defense. And combined, they're a really, really good physical team that gets absolutely sliced apart by magic. So, <laughs> um, so maybe not the best team design on my part, but they, those, that's my favorite to use. Itsuki, Toma, Mamori. And, uh, and, and they really make her designs cute too. Like a lot of the axes she used might have, uh, I think her starting axe has a little teddy bear design on the blade. And yeah. one, and one that I unlocked recently has like a, an, an elephant trunk design. And and these aren't like scary, um, scary, you know, like Rajput warrior elephant designs. These are like cute elephant trunks with, with cartoon eye, anime eyes. Yeah, and so a couple of them have just a little smiley face on them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's definitely a vibe they're going for. Uh, again, this game is one of the most anime RPGs I've ever played, if not the most anime. 
Um, and, and a seventh character joins uh, between chapter four and five, but we'll t- save him for the second uh, part of the uh, for the second part of the podcast. Let's talk about the main story a little bit. In the prologue in chapter one, uh, the, you uh, are investigating this um, this other world, which is called the Idolosphere, which have gates that open uh, scattered around Tokyo. And in the first two dungeons, you learn that um, there was a big scary event five years ago where an entire theater of people just completely vanished, except for a few a few survivors. And one of the survivors was Subasa. Uh, and it turns out that um, that uh, Subasa was there at the theater to watch her sister um, uh, sing in a sing in a concert. And in the very in the chapter one dungeon, uh, Subasa sees her sister again for the first time in five years. It turns out everyone that vanished in that event was dragged into the idolosphere and had their performance stolen. So uh, rescuing Subasa's sister is the thrust of chapter one, and um, and at the end, uh, Subasa's sister makes the interesting decision of instead of trying to return to an idol career, she decides to be a secretary at the uh, talent agency where you are and just encourage her sister to be an idol because deep down all along. Subasa's sister believed that Subasa was the one that had, you know, the the shining ray of talent in her. But um, as an introduction to the game, this dungeon's pretty crazy. It's a uh, it's very vertical. You're uh, there's uh, you have to jump up and down made uh, like made dresses as an maid uh, like. <laughs> Uh, like like maiden dresses and have them adjust and jump from one sleeve to the opposite sleeve and adjust where they're pointing to go to different floors. Um, I got confused a couple times in this dungeon just because, you know, there's so many dresses and so many adjustments to make. I got I got I got lost a couple times. Um, and, and again, this game has maybe seven or eight major dungeons total. And but but they're they're not cakewalks. These are pr- pretty elaborate multi-hour dungeons. Um. How how did you feel about how they uh, executed the dungeons in this game? Um, I've personally enjoyed the dungeons. I like I didn't mind having to solve puzzles and go around and try to figure this out. Like they, some of the dungeons, like later on, get a little bit more elaborate too. Um, I, I mean, I don't mind solving puzzles either, but I just I just thought the the verticality of the first one uh, bugged me a little bit. I thought I thought that the uh, dungeons in, on chapter three and four were uh, were easier to deal with personally. Um. I I think it's it's it is one of the more difficult dungeons to like figure out its puzzle, especially mm-hmm. the, um you you actually revisit it in chapter five later. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, chapter five has you uh, revisit multiple locations. I'm I'm sort of in the early stages of doing that where I am in the game now. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, later on you have to do it again. And um, but for the most part, I'm fine with the dungeon design. Like, like it's a like doing puzzles was never like an issue. So. Like I know that's what some people have issues with. That some people don't like the dungeon design and uh, just get frustrated with that. But I personally never found it. Uh, yeah, I didn't have an issue. I think it's all right. Again, I think some of the puzzles are a little obtuse. It, uh, um, it, it, the first one being very vertical and hard and not easy to tell uh, where you're, it's easy to get turned around in that one. Uh, in the second dungeon, all the floors look a little bit the same to me. There, it, there's uh, you can be hit by. If you walk in the path of a, of a camera, it'll teleport you to the beginning. So you're sort of avoiding cameras um, in that dungeon. But it's a there's a lot of teleport teleportation uh, in the third dungeon. You're on a TV set, uh, as in as in a set design, not not a not a tele not a television not like a television screen, and um, uh, which is which looks like Edo era Japan. And you're sort of going between um, but b- like over bamboo bit bridges and uh, and old style houses. Uh, trying to um, like just uh, pass light from torch to torch, and it was, that one was I thought was a little bit easier than the first two dungeons, at least yeah. design wise. But uh, but it is nice having nice medium to large size dungeons that have puzzle mechanics in them, because in Persona in Persona Four, say those game those dungeons were just empty corridors, and um, games I've played recently like uh, Trails of Cold Steel one and two. And uh, I'm just trying to think of games from the 2010s that might be contemporaries with this, and uh, and, and let, let's say uh, East Eight. Like those dungeons are basically just paths with sometimes a path leads to a treasure chest, and, and I, I know that's because yeah. games are getting more expensive to make, and making elaborate dungeons with heavy puzzles is is more challenging than it was in the PS1, PS2 era. But it is nice seeing dungeons with a real puzzle mechanic in them. And and uh, I I like the dungeons in this game. I just got I just thought it was a bad imp- uh, first impression because I think the first dungeon is the worst one. Yeah, fair enough. I can agree with that. 
But uh, moving along in the story, I mentioned that the second dungeon was had a photography theme. Uh, it's because that um, the the evil mirage that's sort of floating over that dungeon possesses a photographer who uh, who kidnaps um, some of his uh, some of the models that he photographs, and he almost kidnaps Subasa because she was scheduled to do a modeling shoot with him, but uh, but Itsuki steps in at the last minute, and. Um, and Tsubasa is not captured, but the Fortuna talent agency boss, Maiko, is. Maiko is a former model and is sort of the, the, the team mom of the whole group. And you, she becomes the person you have to rescue from the second dungeon of the game. Uh, she had a former relationship with the photographer, uh, maybe romantic, maybe just professional. Where, but uh, but he, she was like the subject of his best uh, photo album ever or something. And so his obsession with Maiko leads to him kidnapping her. And you trying to rescue Maiko and the other uh, models from this dungeon. Uh, this is the first dungeon that you have um, the the first four characters all together because uh, 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 Kyria joins between dungeon two and uh, one and two. So and you, so you get all of her magic spells. Uh, a lot of enemies weak against ice in this dungeon. And again, I think the floors look a little bit too similar in this one, so I got turned around a lot. But it's a uh, yeah. it, overall, it was it wasn't that difficult to deal with. Um, and again, I think they they like hit a different agency of Jap of the, a different aspect of the Japanese entertainment industry with each dungeon. And so this one is the yeah. photographer dungeon. <laughs> that's the that's the modeling dungeon, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and and at the end of the dungeon, uh, Subasa's career grows a little bit, and you, there's a big model, a, a big photo shoot with Subasa, Maiko, um, who's in her uh, late twenties, I think, and Eleonora. That's right where uh, Eleonora joins the modeling group, and that's the, your first introduction to her. Uh, that's sort of how every arc in this game goes. Uh, you, you encounter some darkness in the idolosphere. There's someone in the entertainment industry that gets possessed by a mirage. You have to save them from the mirage, uh, inspire someone's creativity, and at the end, res- and the end result of it is. Your whole team gets a little bit more famous, and Subasa, especially being the up-and-coming idol of your group, sort of uh, gets a new gig or something. Um, the, the third one, the third dungeon, is a stage performance, and you and it go and the the idolosphere dungeon there is a is that uh, that that sort of um, traditional Japanese backdrop. But um, the person that you're rescuing from there uh, isn't anyone we've mentioned yet. Uh, it, this is Barry's dungeon. And Barry is your trainer. He is a uh, a former musician who is uh, uh, he's, he's unusual. He's a he, his name is Barry Goodman. He's an American, uh, or at least a North American. Do they mention where he's from specifically? Uh, I think you mentioned. I'm pretty sure he's American, like U.S. Okay, so he's, he's yeah. He was a musician, a guitar player from the United States, and he who loves who loves Japan. And when he uh, moved to Japan. He goes whole hog into the idol industry, so he's your train, your voice trainer, and your athletic trainer. And you get a training session, I think once per chapter, or maybe between each chapter, with Barry as sort of a uh, an ender. Yeah. But but um, and also Barry, uh, he loves a couple anime. There's a, there's a witch anime he talks about a lot in the game. It's a magical girl anime. That's I feel like that's saying something about how older people end up like really liking magical girl shows even though they're mostly meant for younger girls uh, yeah magical girl shows especially uh, the, the popular one that's going on now or has been for a while is called precure mm-hmm. uh like uh pre shows like precure are aimed at elementary school girls but they have an unusual number of adult fans yeah. um both men <laughs> both men and women and so barry is is exactly uh representing that kind of fan Anyway, um, Barry loves Mamari. He thinks she's adorable and thinks that she has a bright future in a way that's sometimes not creepy and sometimes a little creepy. Just a little bit. Yeah. No, just a but, little bit. <laughs> and, so, and so, yeah, exactly. So Mamari was at this TV set uh, about to perform an Enka song. Uh, and you meet her, you meet Mamari during chapter two, but she doesn't join until the end of chapter three. Mm-hmm. And um, Barry, when the, sh- when the uh, mirage comes to try to possess Mamari, uh, Barry sort of shoves her out of the way and becomes possessed instead. So uh, the third dungeon is rescuing Barry. And, uh, and in this case, it's, it's revealed that both Maiko and Barry were mirage masters, just like your team is, uh, several years ago. And were working to try and stop what was uh, – to try and resolve the tragedy from five years earlier when that whole van- uh, theater full of people vanished. And uh, – it's unclear what kind of fighter Maiko was. Like, when she does session attacks, she wields d- dual daggers, like maybe like she's maybe a thief, or, or I think. 
I think uh, the original concept for Maiko, because she, she was originally supposed to be a playable character. Uh, mm, okay. Concept. Uh, she was supposed to be a dancer, so I'm guessing her barrage was going to be Olivia from Awakening. That's that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. She uh, like when she steps in in, in battle, uh, very occasionally she has a dagger. So I thought she might have been a ninja or a thief. But uh, but you you never see what her mirage is in this game. But in Barry in Barry's you do. Barry was an axe fighter, uh, and yeah. his, uh, or or uh, or maybe a knight, and uh, and his and his partner was Draugr, and uh, Draugr is the final boss of Chapter Three. Uh, you have to sort of free Barry from Draugr's from uh, Draugr's control because uh, Draugr's uh, gone to the dark side, and after you de- you defeat Draugr, uh, Draugr comes to his senses and agrees to be Mamori's new partner instead of returning to Barry. And uh, Draugr's sort of funny. Like, he's a little bit self-serious, a little bit, uh, a little stoic. But when Mamori does something, like, cutesy, he sort of responds in a cutesy manner as well. So it's a, they're an amusing dynamic. I, I like Draugr. Yeah, I like him. But uh, Barry has, and Maiko also, have their own set of side quests. Like, like they're, they are major supporting characters, and you can do quests... Where they, where they give you direction and even provide skills uh, to your team. Like if you do the first couple Myco side quests, I haven't done her last one yet, but one of them increases your inventory size, and the other and another one I think gives you discounts at stores. Uh, I think it's yeah, I think it's discounts at stores, or it increases the the amount you can sell, or the amount of money you get. For That's what it is, yeah. And and I think one of Barry's gives you uh, gets you more money from uh, from uh, more bonus money from doing session attacks. So so like even though Michael and Barry aren't playable characters in your party, they sometimes join in for support attacks, and they give you support skills if you uh, if you level up their um, side quests. And uh, the, the the one character we haven't really mentioned yet, um, Tiki, is a uh, she's a, a, a Manakete. Or a mamkute, whatever translation you prefer. Mamakute, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, basically a dragon girl, and uh, um, she is the person that sort of is in the in the Bloom Palace, which is like the the shiny, um, positive idolosphere that you can jump into. Tiki uh, uh, is able to give your characters new skills and um, and new weapons when they uh, from items collected from enemies and also from leveling up their own performance abilities, again, which are called performa. And, and she also can join in special attacks and has her own set of side quests. Um, Tiki is a, oh, what's the word I keep forgetting? Uh, what, what's a Hatsune Miku? Um, vocaloid. A vocaloid. That's right. Yeah. Tiki is a vocaloid, which is basically an idle program that you can program songs into, like a basically like a composer using something like a tracker. And uh, vocaloids are their own bag of tricks in the uh in the japanese entertainment industry there's there's popular vocaloid performers again hasune miku is the most well-known vocaloid i think and uh, and there's a lot of you know well-known composers of hasune miku songs it's it's its own whole subgenre or or so and subculture that i barely understand but anyway I, I, yeah i don't understand much either but yeah this like this huge thing for vocaloids like i remember like in the mid-2000s there's like a whole lot of artists who are willing to like do vocaloid stuff and i hate to bring it back to persona but in persona 4 dancing all night you could download a couple of hatsune miku songs and she's even playable in uh the hatsune miku character is playable in one of the dlc songs in, in persona 4 dancing so vocaloids are a thing tiki's a vocaloid and she's also a pop uh, a well-known fire emblem character tiki is a dragon girl that's appeared in multiple fire emblem games i think she's in shadow dragon and awakening and, and maybe maybe others, but she's the one that upgrades your weapons and gives you new skills. And I, I don't understand this exactly, but weapons are called carnages in this game for no reason I, yeah, that, sure. that I can tell. It's like why do they what why do they why do they call them carnage? That, if anything, that makes me think of the Spider-Man villain and make and <laughs> and gives it the, and gives the whole thing of an undertone of violence that I'm not sure it it wants. But uh, yeah, they use the word carnage to upgrade your weapons and uh, and and getting new weapons uh, and leveling up your weapons give you new skills and if once you've mastered a weapon you can level it up, you can level it up again to teach you a fifth skill this is where you keep your character balance of six or seven main skills six or seven session skills another uh, six or seven passive skills and then uh, you have an unlimited number of radiant unities which are passive skills and uh, special performances we've, we've mentioned all this there's there's like eight kinds of skill in this game and you can <laughs> and, and you can mix and match and add and subtract add and subtract almost every kind so there, there's 
so many. And there's also class changes. Um, you're uh, Around the midpoint of the game, I've gotten a couple of them already, you get items called Master Seals where you can class change just like in a Fire Emblem game. And there's, I don't think there's any penalty for class changing early. It basically just is an uh, increase in stats. Um, and also unlocks a new special performance and three new carnages per character per class. So um, when, you, uh, when you get your first Master Seal, let's say you want to level up Itsuki. He's a, uh, Chrome is a Lord class, and you can level it up to either Conqueror or Great Lord. Conqueror has better physical skills. Great Lord has better, ma- has better magic skills. And, but both of them give you a new special move and three carnages to unlock, and each carnage teaches four skills. So, th- like, again, there's just so much tinkering in this game. Carnages, six kinds of skills. Like, if you just go to your character skill page, you have to scroll down two full pages to see the list of all of them. Yeah. There, there's so much tinkering in this game that uh, uh, one of the, maybe the most exciting part of this game for me is um, uh, not not a specific boss battle, but after I do a boss battle and I unlock the next story area, then fighting a couple random battles in the next story area, and then unlocking like five carnages in a row because I'm fighting yeah. new I'm fighting new enemies and getting new items to get more carnages. Like I love that. It's like oh man, yeah, I can yeah. do so much more tinkering now. But now, now I need more five star. I need more five star items to to level these up. It's it's like like for someone that likes watching meters rise and and level up dings happen like I do. This is uh, th- this game is um uh, is narcotic in that way. It's it it's a really satisfying level loop, uh, and that I enjoy very much. And I, again, I'm I'm I've been rambling this whole episode, but the core i think the core of what i want to say here in Tokyo mirage sessions is this is a really satisfying rpg with a lot of cool design ideas but it's not really smt or fire emblem and there's so much anime nonsense in it that it's nearing my breaking point for anime nonsense like <laughs> everyone has a different anime tolerance level um, yours is probably a little higher than mine yeah mine's is really high <laughs> like another <laughs> anime i can take is is um Probably like almost unlimited. I believe you. You are in the 99th percentile of anime tolerance, and I'm somewhat below that. And uh, but I'm not. Uh, it's not a deal breaker for me. Um, Tokyo Mirage Sessions is a really well designed RPG with a lot of really fun stuff in it. The character designs are. I mean, again, they're all a little bit anime tropey, and they all are about a specific anime thing. But they're fun. I, I, I like. Uh, there's a lot of texting in this game. You have a you have a, uh, uh, a program called Topic, which is a lot like the Japanese program Line, um, where your characters are always texting back and forth. And the texting is adorable. You get a lot of personality out of these characters because of, there's a lot of dialogue, a lot of texting. Um, Subasa's really cute. Uh, Toma's a total bro. Uh, Kiria is sort of serious, but like, but like you see the, the serious. You see some cracks in her serious facade. Uh, th- these are a really appealing entertaining group of characters um but it's just all so anime that if you if you don't have a lot of anime tolerance maybe that's where i wouldn't recommend this game like if you if you hate anime idol nonsense then this is not your this is not the game for you but for a lot of our listeners and uh if you've are if you're listening to this podcast you've probably already played this um this game hits a lot of very uh positive notes and and again, I think that the loop of leveling and dungeons and character building is really really strong. Yeah, like I always tell people, like when they ask me, I'm like, like even though it's like you make out the impression, oh maybe it's too anime for me or whatever. Like the base, like the base RPG itself is still very very solid, and like it's it could definitely still like like play some of the like some of the, like the really top rpgs out there and i think you can still like make an argument that token sessions is still like compared to them still really really good two of the biggest rpg series in our circle are uh, persona and and trails and both of those are turn-based rpgs with sort of anime-centric designs and a lot of a lot of good dialogue so i think tokyo mirage sessions is like one of those like a like a trails of cold steel or persona 4 but um but very, very focused on Japanese entertainment and anime music stuff. But again, only getting 80% of the way there. Like, this is 80% of a good Persona game that goes in, a, in some goofy directions with this entertainment industry stuff. And if that sounds interesting, like, if you like Trails or Persona or uh, maybe Tales, another very anime-heavy series, then this might be up your alley, but you just need to be aware 
of this high level of anime nonsense present. Because even though it's not a turnoff for, for, uh, for either of us, Nathan, it might be a turnoff for some. So that's the one caveat I have. If you don't like anime BS, then <laughs> – sorry, this game's full of anime BS. Yeah, the same is definitely like – yeah, like as you mentioned earlier, definitely one of those anime RPGs that I've ever played. And I play a lot of them. I play a lot of them too. Like I, I – um... Should I've played about half of the Fire Emblem, half of the of the Tales games. I really and I uh, I've really really enjoyed Persona, especially the past uh, 11, 12 years, and and I think this game fits comfortably next to a lot of those. But it it, it just ha- it's it's coming from a really specific place, and I if anything I play these side quests for the dialogue and for the new skills they teach you, and definitely not for the anime music videos they unlock. But we we have a lot to talk about in the second part of this episode. There is a seventh character we haven't mentioned yet, and uh, a couple villain characters that uh, are are worth discussing. But uh, we can save that for part two. Also, we have um, there's three more dungeons and probably more story stuff I haven't reached yet in part two. Uh, but I think we should um, save that for next week. Uh, but again, I'm I think I'm around the seventy five percent mark. I'm early in chapter five, and I'm really enjoying myself. I'm gonna have no problem at all getting to the end of this game and and uh, uh you might you would know better than I have if you've played this game several times. Um, there is a new game plus feature, right? Yeah, so new game plus well, one of the main things it does was it introduces new enemies. so in every dungeon there'll be like they call it like a dojo master. Then it's basically like a like a, a high level enemy, and obviously you won't be able to beat it right away because like when you do New Game Plus, you still back to level one. Oh, so so there's that, and um, in New Game Plus for this version specifically, the, the Switch version, you can take Itsuki out of your party in New Game Plus. Oh, good. I I actually like that a lot. Yeah. Um. What else is there in New Game Plus? Um. We can talk about that in part two because. Uh, true. Yeah. Uh, there's there's still a lot to talk about. Um, I mean, we haven't even, we've talked barely about the setting. This game takes place in Tokyo with some real life Tokyo locations in it. Uh, the map gets a little bit messy, but uh, we'll have a lot to talk about in part in chapter two. But for now, I think we're gonna um, we're gonna shut we're gonna shut it off. Uh, but right now, my my uh, early impression is very positive, and I'm glad that this got a switch port because I, I have really no interest in getting a Wii U, and. Um, this was on my list of of Wii U games. I was hoping we'd get ported to Switch, and I got my wish uh, in in January a few months ago. And I've, and I've had a lot of fun with it so far. But uh, l- let's look to next week a little bit, Nathan. Um, we're doing another Tokyo Mirage Sessions episode next week to close out our uh, episodes for the month of March. And in April, we're going to have two episodes on Soul Blazer, actually going retro for once. Soul Blazer is a Super Nintendo RPG from uh, Quintet. Uh, Soul Blazer had two sequels, uh, Illusion of Gaia and Terra Enigma. I've played the sequels, but I've never played Soul Blazer. So I'm, um, uh, we even did an episode on Quintet RPGs a few years ago. So I'm not sure if I'll be on those episodes or not, because I kind of need, a, I kind of could use a break from, uh, f- from podcasting, especially since that month is going to uh, Final Fantasy VII remake and Trials of Mana remake come out, and uh, those are two games you know I'm interested in. Oh, and then Persona Five Royals at the end of the month. It's That's right, yeah. Persona Five Royal is at the end of March, uh, and we're, we're recording this in early March, listeners. So there's a, there are a lot of fascinating remakes to play in March, April, to say. Uh, N- nothing of, <laughs> of, of uh, you know, a lot of people probably playing Animal Crossing in March. Or Doom, Animal Crossing and Doom, the two sides of the same ca- coin re- uh, releasing on the same day. <laughs> I- I'm not really in either of those circles, but it has, it has been very fun to watch uh, uh, those two communities, um, you know, uh, fist bump a little bit online. That's very nice. But uh, so, yeah, and, and also in April, we're doing a special episode on mental health and wellness that is a, uh, a passionate topic. Um, for several people on staff. And uh, th- so that's going to be a really interesting conversation. It has not recorded yet, but you will see mental health in early April and then two episodes on Soul Blazer in late April. But uh, listeners, if you want to reach to us, reach out to us directly, the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com. You can also visit our message boards, visit the Facebook page, visit Instagram, Twitter, Discord, Twitch, something streaming new on Twitch every day, all of them on, under the label RPG Fan and linked from RPGFan.com. And RPG Fan has uh, four podcasts, not just Retro Encounter. We also have Random Encounter, hosted by Greg Delmage and about randomness. Rhythm Encounter, hosted by Blank and about RPG, <laughs> about RPG music, but it hasn't had an episode, a new episode in a while. And Phoenix Edge, hosted by Hat, which is a uh, weekly podcast that mo- mostly focuses on current events and is streamed live on YouTube every week. 
So please review all of us, Retro Encounter, Random Encounter, Rhythm Encounter, and Phoenix Edge on iTunes or Google Play or however you are listening to us. Please give us all of the feedback and constructive criticism you are willing to provide. So uh, Nathan, if a listener wants to reach out to you directly, what's the best way for them to do so? Uh, if you want to reach me on social media, uh, I'm on Twitter at SmashGang27. And I'm also on our Discord if you want to if you join us on our Discord uh, server. I'm just I'm SmashGang on there. All right, and listeners, if you want to reach out to me, I am at the Real Monsoon on Twitter most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs on Twitter other times, and Monsoon Mike on RPG Fans Discord. So, uh, Nathan, I have some more Tokyo Mirage sessions to play. So I am going to log out of here, log into the Idolosphere, and then hit Myrmidons with a lance until I can shake him down for yen. Because <laughs> there's a lot of yen shakedowns in this game. Like, you just hit oh, enemies. A lot, a lot of beatdowns. Yeah, for, you, you for hit enemies and they just explode into coins like they're Goombas or something. Thank you. Good night. And good luck. <laughs> Thank you.